0: Well, we're going into uh, into the summer season, and I thought it would be good uh, for us to, um, if you'd allow me, to lead us uh, as a church into a summer season of prayer. Uh, prayer is one of those things where it's um, it should be a given in the Christian life. It should be something that uh, we are uh, consistently and constantly doing, but it's. Unfortunately, the challenge is the motive by which we do it, and and that's really what I want to address this morning: is our motives in prayer. Um, there's a story of Jesus walking with the disciples, and and he tells uh, the disciples to pick up a rock, and and so Peter, being you know one of the smartest ones, uh, or yeah, uh, smart aleck ones, um, Peter thinks. If I'm going to carry this rock for a while, I'm not going to pick up a big rock. So he goes and picks up a small little rock, a little stone, and sticks it in his pocket if he has a pocket. And they're walking, and they they they're walking now for a long time. And Peter's thinking in his mind, I I made the right choice here <laughs> because I did not want to be carrying this rock, except for when they uh, sat down for lunch. Uh, Jesus tells him, pull pull out your rock, and and he said, and he he prays over the rocks and turns him, turns the stone into bread. And he says, This is your lunch. And and Peter's looking at his amuse bouche. You know, he, you guys know what that is? is? bouche is that's a thing. It's like the thing before your appetizer. It's smaller than your appetite. You guys don't know this? This is this is important information for you to have. But but so he, he looks at his appetizer, right? And uh, this being Texas culture, his, his appetizer, and he's thinking, I made the wrong decision. And so they get done with, with lunch, and Jesus says, I want you to pick up another stone. Peter's thinking really smart now. And so he goes, and he's like, Oh, I'm eating tonight. And so he goes and picks up a big boulder, and he's, he's lugging this boulder along with him on this road. And for hours and hours, he's carrying this massive boulder. And it and gets to dinner time, and, and Jesus says, Now I want you to take your boulder, and I want you to throw it into the sea. And Peter's thinking, What? Why? And Jesus comes over, and he puts his hand on Peter's shoulder and, and says, You weren't carrying that boulder For me, you were carrying it for you. And I wonder when we pray, if when we pray, we're not praying because of our relationship with the Father, but we're praying for us. I want to read to you and see what the Bible has to say from Matthew chapter 6. Where Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer and he explained two ways not to pray before telling us the right way. It's like the game two wrong ways, one right way. Starting in verse 5, he says, And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. It says, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Then in verse 9 it says, this then is how you should pray. And we all are familiar with this next line or the beginning of this next, this next set of verses, right? Read, read it with me. It says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's all we're going to read today. It's hard for us because we, we so desperately want to finish that prayer. Because we're familiar, it's in us, it's ingrained in us, we've memorized it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. I I, I have to say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But but no, just our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We'll take a look at the rest of the Lord's Prayer in, in the coming weeks, but Today, I just want to stop and I want to pause and I want to look at our motives in prayer. See, what Jesus did was he he lays this foundation for everything else that he's going to teach the disciples about prayer. And he wants to teach us how prayer can be transformed, where it moves and shifts from being kind of this burden or this discipline or this responsibility that as Christ followers we must do to this amazing delight that we get to do. But it's only if our motives and our hearts, our relationship with the Father is actually oriented in the right way. Jesus says there's two ways not to pray and one way to pray. And he identifies these groups of people, these people groups. And the first group of people that he identifies are the hypocrites. These are the people that Jesus mentions mentions in the passage that they were people who only prayed in order to be seen by other people. It's a hard uh, picture to imagine but uh, because in our day and age it looks differently. But, but essentially, you've got this group of Pharisees, these people, these religious people who are going to the synagogue, and, and there was always this call to prayer. And prior to the call to prayer, they would take the busiest roads because they knew that it would take them forever. They would get stuck, and by the time the call to prayer came, they would be amongst the people. And so the call comes, they stop in the middle of this busy street, and they start praying to God. Uh, I I was trying to think of a a current analogy to this, and I don't really have one other than, than maybe if you were on your way to church And you stop by the mall on the way here, which would it would have to be second service because mall's not open yet. But you know, you you stop by the mall, and it's super busy, lots of people going around. uh, And all of a sudden, you just—it's church time—and you stop in the middle of the mall. You raise your hands, and you're like, "Oh God in heaven!" And you're looking around, making sure people are watching. "Oh God in heaven!" Oh, God in heaven. And you're like like positioning yourself in such a way that people are like, this must be a holy person. Now, in our malls, people would be thinking you're crazy. uh, But regardless, that's the essence of what's taking place here. Their whole purpose of prayer was a tool to get what they wanted. And in this case, it was approval and status. We should pray because we want God for God, not for what God can give us, what God can do for us. And so the question for us this morning is, what's the difference between your public prayer life and your private prayer life? What what does that look like? Do you have a place in which you regularly spend time in prayer that goes beyond just when you're in the midst of other people. He uses this second group of people Jesus does, and it's this Gentile group. He calls them pagans in the NIV, but but it's these Gentiles. And the Gentiles of Jesus' day, they had so many gods to choose from that they would pray to as many of them as possible in hopes that one of them would hear him. And they were afraid that God wouldn't love them. And so they sought out to manipulate God in order to get something from him. And they would manipulate this relationship. Hypocrites would say, I don't really care about God. This is more about me. Gentiles would say, God doesn't really care about me. Hypocrites would say, I, I'll try to leverage this relationship. And gentle, Gentiles would say, I'm afraid of this relationship. Jesus says, if you pray like that, if you pray like the guys who just want to be seen, or if you pray out of fear, then you'll miss the reward of prayer altogether. Now, most of us, I think, and I think we could all be honest this morning and say that most people do not self-identify as a hypocrite. Like, it's just, we don't go around and saying, you know what? I'm a hypocrite. I'm a pagan. I'm a. We, we don't do that. And yet, there's something about identifying the hypocrite inside of us when it comes to prayer. A Pharisee is someone who comes to God not because they want God, but because of what God can do for them. And so there is inside of us maybe just a little bit of hypocrite. You say, well, how, how, how do I know? I, won't, I don't want that hypocrite in me. I, you know, how do I know if I'm praying for the right reason?" And one of the ways in which we can identify whether we're praying for the right reason is if you've ever found yourself praying to God and not gotten what you prayed for, not what you, you you didn't get what you wanted from God, and because of that, you feel distant and rejected by God. If, If that's you, if you've ever been, as I have in that kind of situation, where all of a sudden you feel like God is distant from you, he's not hearing my prayers because he's not answering them, there might be just a little hypocrite living inside you. What about the Gentile that's praying out of fear? See, the other side of this praying to get or this praying to be seen, this praying for approval, is also this sense of praying a certain way it's the method by which we pray and in the case of this story in particular Jesus is referencing a group of people who are just using words a lot of words just throwing out words and I wonder how many of us have thought if I just go to church enough I'll be on God's good side if I just pray hard enough loud enough long enough then I'll get from God. If I craft my words eloquently enough, I will somehow convince the God of the universe who's sitting up there thinking, you know what, I wasn't going to answer that prayer, but now that you say it that way, I'll do it. See, if you if you read the New Testament, what, what you find is that Jesus says, He says two things that that kind of seem contradictory because in one place he's saying, don't pray like the Gentiles who are uh, just repeating words over and over and over again. But then he says in this other story, this other analogy where he's talking about this neighbor and he references, uh, he, he references coming to the door and seeking and knocking again and again and again. And it's like, well, but what do you want? Are we not supposed to be repetitive where we're coming again and again and again? Or are we supposed to come and seek and knock And he'll answer. The reality is, is Jesus isn't contradictory. He's really not even focused on the methodology of your prayer. He's focused on the relationship. That in that story, he's focused on the, the neighbor, the person who is implied loves and cares for the other person. Their persistence isn't driven by fear, it's driven by relationship. In effect, in the case of the Gentiles or in the pagans in this this story, they had no real relationship with the Father. That's why this line, our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name, is so important. Because the third people group in this story are the children of God. The sons and daughters who who would say, our Father who's in heaven. The first two words of the Lord's Prayer reshape the way that we're supposed to relate to God. We're supposed to position ourselves as children of God and pray to him as though he is a loving father. The the psalmist, David, in Psalm chapter 16, he says it like this. He says, Lord, you alone, in verse five, he says, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I will keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful, uh, faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life, And you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. When we see God as Father, our prayer life begins to be changed. You know why a Pharisee couldn't pray that prayer? Because a Pharisee is more interested in impressing other people instead of the sacredness of the Father's name. We hallow his name instead of our name. And we ask that his will be done instead of ours. And that's a dangerous prayer to pray because that requires trust. It requires faith that that God's ways are better than my ways, that God's will is better than my will. Instead, oftentimes in our prayer, we try to align God's will with our, or we try to align our will to God. Meaning, God, will you make my will be done on earth as it is in heaven? And the shift is for us to begin saying, God, what is your will, and how can I align my life with that? If you didn't believe that God had your best interest in mind, how could you ever pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? It's one thing to say those words, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. But if you mean it, it requires trusting the Father. The hypocrite approaches God one way, a Gentile approaches God another. A Christian bases his prayer on the statement that I have everything that I need in the Father and nothing to fear from him. Statistics say 70% of Americans pray on a regular basis. I didn't believe it when I saw it. But I thought, probably, they pray for their food, say the blessing, you know, get me out of this exam. Those kinds of prayers, I'm sure. 70%. And I've been praying for a very long time. I, I surrendered my life to Jesus when I, at a very young age, and, and I find myself in a long-term prayer life, but I don't know how much of that time has been in a long-time prayer relationship with the Father. If our, our prayer life isn't alive... Then we don't have a problem with prayer, we have a problem with the Father. If you want to grow in, in if we want to grow in our understanding of prayer, it's not some model that you can just repeat. Jesus says first, if you want to know how to pray, you need to know the Father. For me, prayer is this interesting dynamic where I found myself going through seasons where, where I'm praying more often than others. I'll say it that way. And then there's some seasons where my prayer life feels like, like when you're running at the beach in sand. It just feels like a lot of work and it's not getting anywhere. And I've had to have my perspective shifted a little bit. That it's not about the amount of times, it's not about the place, it's about the relationship with the Father. Here's the challenge with that, that statement though, is that if you don't have a perfect Father, then where do you look to understand the heart of God for you? Most of us don't have perfect fathers. My son obviously does, but, but most of you don't. <laughs> right? We don't have these perfect fathers, these perfect examples to see, to think of, to relate to God. How do we know God as the father as he's meant to be? And Jesus makes this profound statement in John chapter 14, verse 9, where he looks at Philip and he says to Philip, don't you know, like whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And what Jesus is doing here is he does two things. Not only does he show us the Father in his life, but he shows us how to relate and trust the Father. If you want to know how, just look at what he does. If you want to know how he relates to the Father, if you want to know what the good Father is, look at Jesus' example, because Jesus, even at the most difficult time in his life, while he's hanging on a cross, his Father is there. He's present. A Gentile, a pagan, can't say that because he is afraid. He can't say our Father because he's afraid of what the Father might do. But a Son of God can come to the Father because we know that He will never leave us, He will never forsake us. A Son can come to the Father because He is always with us. Jesus invites his friends to pray in the garden. And I don't know if you know the story, you know that he came back and found his friends sleeping, right? You talk about being let down, right, by a friend. It's like he just asks you to pray for an hour. That's it. And he comes back there, falling asleep. And I think that if you've ever been in a situation where we've been let down by a friend, Oftentimes, we want to blame God, and in this case, Jesus, what does he do? He just goes right back and presses in more to the Father, because the Father won't let us down. Jesus goes to the garden, he kneels, and in this moment of agony, he doesn't turn, the Father doesn't turn away, he presses in. So really for us, the revelation for us today is that for those of us who've been betrayed, or neglected, or abused. The enemy would like to take the image of that person, that friend, that spouse, that father, and superimpose it over our heavenly father and say to you, he can't be trusted. Jesus was so intent to show us a better image of the father that whenever Everyone else left him and betrayed him. The Father was always there. My life of prayer isn't to demand something. It's not to to line up God's will with my will. It's to line up who I am with who he is. It's not to come to God and say, God, I want this. I need this. Instead, it's, God, I want those things, but by faith I believe that everything that I need is in you. God's never been in a situation where all of a sudden, because of the method by which we pray, it changes things but it's through the relationship that we have with God when we come to our Father, it moves him out of relationship. When we understand this motive and we stop carrying this burden or this rock of prayer for ourselves, and instead we start carrying it for him, it becomes a delight for us. And as we go through this summer, my prayer for you is that your prayer life will become a delight. It will become something not that we have to do, but something that we get to do. Let's pray. Father, so much of, of this Christian life that we are living in encompasses a lot of things. And it seems as though there's a lot of things that we must do in order to be in right standing with you. And today, our reminder for all of us is that it's nothing that we must do. It's something that we get to do. It's something that, with the right motive and the right understanding of a father who so desperately wants a relationship with his children, we come to you. And God, of course, we, as we go into this summer, this isn't just, hey, let's have a summer of prayer and then stop. But God, let this summer be transformational in how we view our prayer life. God, let this be a renovation, a, a rebuilding of how we view prayer, not only for us, but as we see it as a church. God, could this church, could Lifehouse Church be a place, a community, that understands that freedom and life comes through a prayerful relationship with the Father. God, we love you. We surrender that to you today in Jesus' name. Amen.